0: Okay, good. Good morning. If you'd like to be turning to Acts chapter 16, we're going to be there for a bit, uh, carrying on our series through the book of Acts. And this is where we've got to. We're in Acts chapter 16, uh, and we're starting from verse 16 today. We pick up uh, where we left off last time. Paul and Silas and their other companions are in Philippi. Okay, so I'm going to read from Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly... The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them, and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. Okay, so there's not a lot in that passage, really. This will be very quick, very brief. There's not a lot going on here at all, is there, in Philippi? No, in all seriousness, we pick up. From where we left off in Philippi, we pick up with Paul and Silas and their companions, and we 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 join them where God has led them to this place. God has led them to Philippi. We heard last week it wasn't their initial idea. They were trying to get into the province of Asia. They were they were God God has said, No, you can't preach there, you're not going there. They were being prevented from doing it. They thought, well, maybe we'll try Bithynia. That's kind of province of Asia, kind of there in western Turkey. But Bithynia, if we turn the other way and go up to the north, maybe we can go there. And they couldn't go there. Then they've been called so wonderfully by this dream of the man from Macedonia saying, come here, come and help us. We'll pick up on the province of Asia in, in later chapters. You can see there's many Cities we'll be familiar with from the rest of the Bible, including Ephesus and Colossae and all of the churches in the book of Revelation. But it wasn't time for them to go there. And they've been led to Philippi. We see God leads them there. And then we see God leads them to people. Last week we saw them go to the river, go to an expected place of prayer. It's the kind of their usual plan. We'd go to the synagogue and find the Jews. Well, there's no synagogue here. So we're going to find what kind of remnant of a Jewish community might be here in this city. We go to the riverside. It's where we plan to go. And they find Lydia and a group of other women and amongst them Lydia and her whole household comes to be saved. We saw God worked through Their usual pre-planned approach will come. And when we come to a city, we'll go and find the Jews first. We're going to go there. This is where we're going to go. And in there, God breaks in. What we're going to see through this passage, God leads them to more different people. A slave girl, some prisoners, and a jailer in his family. And we'll see as we go through, these encounters don't come about in perhaps quite such a planned and purposeful way. But we'll see different ways that God brings about these encounters and works in these people's lives. We'll see, for those who like slightly over the top, I've forgotten the word. Titles that start with the same letter. Alliteration, thank you. You get stuck with one word. It's not good. We will see firstly a puzzling, perhaps perplexing introduction. That's a P. Don't worry about the other letters. Then we'll see a painful path of persecution and prison. Before finally we see a powerful intervention of God. They're all P's, by the way. That was the point. Anyway, we'll move on from that. But we see the glorious plans and purposes of God worked out in lots of different individual lives as Paul and Silas and the others go on this kind of roller coaster of a journey through Philippi. Okay, read the first few verses and we see a puzzling, perhaps perplexing introduction to a person and he turned round and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. We see God leads them to a slave girl. A slave girl with a spirit that predicts the future. And she ends up following Paul and the others around, and she's shouting out this cry, which on the surface sounds brilliant. This is free publicity, Surely. These guys are showing you the way to be saved. They're servants of the Most High God. They know the way of salvation. But what do we see? We see this is not a planned meeting. Paul and the others are on the way again to the place of prayer by the riverside. They're not looking for this slave girl. They're not looking for... For anyone at this point, they're just going to find the people at at the place of prayer to worship again, presumably to tell more people about Jesus. But as they're going, this slave girl comes up. She comes across their path. Quite simply, as an aside, right now at this point, we see God works through the planned way that they always work it out. They always plan to go to the place of prayer, to the synagogue, So th- they go and speak to the Jews first and God works. We can like that sometimes, the ordered methodical approach, some of us. Some of us like this ordered methodical approach. This is where we're going to go. We're going there, we're going to go there and we're going to proclaim the gospel there and hopefully people will respond. And Lydia does and it's wonderful. But also God can work through the spontaneous intervention, the chance encounter, the moment that they weren't planning at all. Now, perhaps each of us prefers one or the other of those, but God's a bit bigger than that. He can use any and every circumstance, but this woman comes up to them. They're not looking for her attention, but she certainly attracts theirs. She's shouting out, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Day after day after day. Now, we don't know exactly what happens. Perhaps they ignore her at first. Perhaps there's a bit of interaction that goes on. What's going on here? Don't know. Perhaps they start to ignore her and think, okay, we'll just keep going. She's going to keep shouting. What's going on? And then we read, eventually Paul got so annoyed that he commands the spirit to leave. What's going on here? Why does Paul get so annoyed? And We stop for a minute. On the surface, this appears quite good, like I said. You're going, you're bringing the message of salvation, Paul, and this woman's telling everyone about it. She's shouting it out for everyone to hear. These men are servants of the most high gods. They're telling you the way to be saved. And we don't know exactly how she was shouting it out. We don't know exactly whether there was a mocking tone in it. Maybe Paul got a bit of annoyance from that. Maybe there's a sense you can tell she's not really wanting people to listen to us. Perhaps some of these things tip Paul off to think, actually, something else is going on here. I'm not really happy about this. But why does Paul get so annoyed? Well, I believe primarily Paul recognises what's going on. You see, it sounds okay. She's pointing out truth, isn't she? But no, what's the reality that's going on here? Here is a woman who is oppressed, who is trapped, who is controlled by an evil spirit and by evil masters who are using her to make them money. She's trapped. She's locked up. She's bound. She's, she needs setting free. And Paul gets so annoyed. Paul is so angry at this. Paul is so angry at what is going on that he puts a stop to it. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned round and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. What do we see? Gloriously, in the name of Jesus, the spirit goes. This is true. In the name of Jesus, demons will flee. In the name of Jesus, spirits that are oppressing people need to listen. We see the authority that is found in Jesus' name. Demons flee. The spirit that's oppressed this woman goes. At that moment. We can know this reality today demons will flee at the name of Jesus spirits will go at the name of Jesus there is freedom in the name of Jesus here today but what we see as we look at these verses is a need for discernment you see as Paul is going to the place of prayer he could easily have put up with or even Perhaps, depending on how it sounded, even applauded what was going on. Oh, great. She's cheering us on. Great. At least she's telling everyone the truth. There might be something else going on, but she's telling the truth. It's true. But no, Paul discerns what is truly going on. He has discernment and wisdom to see and compassion to act and to bring freedom for this woman. We need discernment and wisdom to see what is going on in situations and to act and see freedom come to those who are oppressed. More broadly, perhaps we need wisdom and discernment to hold fast to the word of God and to know what he's leading us into. It's very easy to just assume, well, that sounds good. It sounds right. But they're kind of saying the right thing. Surely this is a good idea. Surely this is what we should be doing now. Well, Paul could have thought that about the province of Asia. Surely I'm supposed to be going and proclaiming the word of God there. That's a good thing, isn't it, right? If we look on to Acts chapter 19, we'll see that Paul proclaiming the word of God in Ephesus is a very good thing. And we see the whole province is reached as men and women gather and hear from Paul in Ephesus and go back to their surrounding towns and cities. This is a really good thing. Well, surely... It could have happened so much sooner. Wouldn't it have been a good thing if Paul could have gone to the province of Asia now? But the reality is we need to discern, just like with the slave girl, just like with Paul hearing, where am I supposed to go? What is God saying and doing? We need wisdom. We need ears to hear. Paul hears, not now, not there, not yet. Come here. We could see that in so much that we are doing or so much that we've done in the past. Loads of amazing things that have been done in God. But God says at times, no, it's time to stop. We could see it with our sights at the moment, stepping out. And we could think, we really want to be meeting more regularly. Can't we be there every week? But what's God saying? We're going to see God break through in power. But we want to listen to him and follow him and build on solid foundations. So we see this slave girl, Paul discern what's going on, and he set and God through Paul sets her free from the spirit that has been in her. We need that discernment and wisdom and compassion to act. Okay, moving on in the story, we've seen the slave girl set free. Well, that triggers a very painful path of persecution and prison for Paul and Silas. Verse 19. When her owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. We see the immediate backlash. The slave girl has been set free from the the spirit that's been oppressing her. And yet in a horribly ugly way, her owners are more concerned about the money they're going to lose than this woman's well-being. They're more concerned that suddenly they've lost a great avenue of making money. And so now it's time to get their own back on Paul and Silas. They drag them to the marketplace. They start presenting a case before the magistrates there's anger, there's exaggeration, there's falsehoods. They're making a case against them. Look, these Jewish guys have come and they're, making a, they're causing a problem. And we see Paul and Silas face some pretty rough persecution. They've had the accusations thrown at them. Then the crowd join in the attack against them. The magistrates order them to be stripped and beaten with rods. They are severely flogged and they're thrown into prison. And the jailer is commanded to guard them carefully. So he puts them in the inner cell and he fastens their beaten and bashed and battered bodies into the stocks. Can they be comfortable can they get any kind of comfort in this place battered and broken and now locked up in stocks in the inner cell of the prison here they are how do we react when backlash and persecution hardship and testing comes And we'll see how Paul and Silas react. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. We could perhaps contrast with Jesus' disciples in the boat in Mark chapter 4. We see here in, in Acts 16, Paul and Silas have got the clear call to go. This is where I'm leading you, Paul and Silas. I'm leading you to Macedonia, to Philippi. You've heard it in a dream. This is where you're going. Or well, Similarly, in Mark 4, Jesus says, let's go across to the other side. Let's get in the boat and go across to the other side. And as they're going, well, the storm gets pretty bad. Jesus is asleep in the boat, but his disciples are terrified. What's going on? I I don't know what to do. What's their reaction? To wake Jesus up and say, Jesus, don't you care that we drown? Jesus tells them, you still have so little faith. I'm with you. I'm here. I've commanded. We're going across to the other side. Why are you afraid? Well, we see something of that in Paul and Silas. They've been commanded to go. They've gone to Philippi. They've seen some encouragement. It's wonderful. It's great. Lydia's come to faith. The whole household are saved. The slave girl's been set free. But now, bang, they're in prison. Has it all gone wrong? Did we get it wrong? Did we not hear God properly? What's going on here? No. Paul and Silas are in the inner cell in, of the prison, locked up, utterly trapped, utterly in pain from the beating they've just had, locked in the stocks. And what are they doing? Oh God, you're glorious. Oh God, you're glorious. I don't know what hymns they were singing. They're singing praise to God and they're crying out in prayer. How do we respond when hardship and trouble and persecution comes? Pray and sing. Come to God. Come to Jesus. You're in control, God. You're still in control. In the midst of this pain and suffering, in the midst of all of this, we know you've called us. You led us. You're leading us now. You're still here. You're still in charge. And we're going to praise you. We see Paul and Silas living by faith through persecution and suffering. When persecution hits, are we put off? Are we discouraged? Are we, are we wobbled? Or are we strengthened? Are we encouraged? Are we ready to praise? Because he counts us worthy to suffer for his name. We can see throughout the book of Acts and Paul's letters that Paul gets a lot of experience of this. We can look back to Acts chapter 14 and see that in in Lystra, they stone him to the point that they think he's dead and drag him out of the city before he He's revived and he gets up and goes back into the city. We can read in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul lists off the fact that he's been beaten several times. He's been flogged a different number of times, been shipwrecked three times. Apologies, I should have looked it up and I could actually give you the right numbers. But he's been through all these different things. I count it an honour to have suffered for the name of my God. We see in the midst of this pain and suffering, here and elsewhere, Jesus is worth it. I am going to praise him. He is in control. He knows what he's doing, even here. And we see in the midst of this pain and suffering, God has led them to a group of fellow prisoners who are now listening to their prayers and praise. But the question still there, how do we respond when it's painful, when it doesn't make sense, when it seems to have gone wrong? When God doesn't intervene against the false accusations and when persecution comes? Well, Paul and Silas's example is this, pray and sing. Seek God and give him glory. Recognise that God is still in control, God is still at work, God is still leading them and us. Just an aside, see the great glory and benefit of brothers together. Different brothers and sisters standing together in faith. Paul and Silas together in the prison. Paul and Silas praising God together. They're not alone. They're part of a family. Part. Of, they're brothers together on a mission. I'll testify myself to being in the benefit even this last week of having the support, the encouragement, the the joy of standing together with my brothers. Without going into detail, it's felt tough at times in this last week for me personally. But we're a family together we brothers who encourage one another. Brothers and sisters who encourage and support one another. I would say thank you to many who have for me this week. So they know God is still at work. God's still leading them. And they know God is still able to intervene. As we'll see. Because thirdly, we see God has led them to a slave girl through a perhaps... Puzzling encounter. It led them to the prisoners through a painful and bout of persecution. Now we see he leads them through to the jailer by a powerful intervention of God. Verse 26 Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. It's an incredible event. This massive earthquake, which both shakes the prison's foundations but also we find that all the doors are open and all their chains have fallen off. It's a miracle in here. It's a supernatural event that all the prisoners are effectively free. as caused by an earthquake. Not only are the foundations shaken, but all the doors are open and all their chains have come off. Well, this is, in one sense, amazing for the prisoners. But this is a death sentence for the jailer. If, as he expects, he gets up and finds all the prisoners have gone, then his life is forfeit. He's been commanded to guard them, to keep them safe. That is his job and the consequences will be severe. In that culture at that time, you understand why he wakes up, sees what's happened and is ready to kill himself. It's despair. It's an utter disaster. I am a dead man. But even as we read these verses and see the despair of the jailer, what a powerful parallel with our spiritual reality. For the jailer, the cells are empty, the chains are off, presumably the prisoners are gone. My life is forfeit, I am lost, I am dead. You see, he could try, to, he could look to make excuses. But it's not my fault, there was an earthquake. I did what you asked, I did lock them up, I did put Paul and Silas as far back in the prison as possible. I locked them in stocks, I didn't just put them in a cell. It's not my fault. And perhaps there would be some validity for him. There was an earthquake after all, but I doubt it would change things. But the reality for him and for us before a holy God, we are guilty. We are sinful. We have no excuse. As Paul will go on to write to the Ro- to the, in his letter to the Romans in chapter 323, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God's. And three chapters later, 6.23, and the wages of sin is death. No excuse. No escape. On our own, no hope. The jailer, nothing he could do. Surely the prisoners are gone, and if so, then that's it. And for him and for us before God, nothing we can do in and of ourselves to put things right. But the glorious truth, both here in the jail in Philippi, and for all of us before a mighty God, is that we see amazing grace. Amazing grace, first in the natural here for the jailer. He woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't calm yourself. We are all here. We see a prison full of criminals who've had their chains released, the doors opened. And they're all there. They're all still there. This is amazing grace to the jailer. And we see in a moment, his despair turns to joy. His immediate danger is lifted. But in that moment, he sees clearly and asks the right question which perhaps, incidentally, the other prisoners are still waiting around to hear the answer to. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And we see here, right in the midst of a dark, presumably smelly, dirty, grossy, horrible Philippian jail, an absolutely profound and glorious, wonderful moment of the grace of God breaking in, in a man's life and his family with them with him. What must I do to be saved? And right there and then they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptised. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and all his households. What must I do to be saved? Believe. Believe. You and all your household, believe. And in one sense, that's all you can do. There is nothing you can do to save yourself. And on the other side it's all you must do. This is it. Believe in him. Come and submit to him. Repent and believe him. Believe Jesus. He is the one in whom we find salvation. We see a glorious story here of life out of death. A dead man walking receives life. Salvation comes to a whole household that day. As they all believe and are baptized. It's a reality that can be true for anyone here today. What must I do to be saved? Well, the answer hasn't changed. Believe. Come to him and repent and believe. Come and believe and be baptized. We see what a turnaround for them, and joy and hospitality flow out. What a wonderful, wonderful moment. So as we look at this whole passage, how do we respond? How do we expect a journey of faith to be? We see Paul and Silas and their other companions on this journey. They've been called to Philippi, to Macedonia, to Philippi. They've come to the place of prayer. They've seen people saved. Well, God has called us and He's leading us, so therefore it'll be plain sailing, right? Well, no, they face an utter roller coaster. But see the purposes of God being worked out. And if we stay zoomed in on that incredible prison scene, we see Paul and Silas have got hold of something utterly glorious. In the midst of this pain, in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of this which appears to have gone so horribly wrong, I am going to trust in God. He has called us. He has led us. He has brought us here and I will, we will trust in him. But actually we see it's not a glib or unrealistic comment. Well, of course, yeah. No, no, no. Of course, we're fine. Everything's great. Everything's good. Everything's still going well, isn't it? It's all good. I'm sure they had a good reason for what they've done. They didn't mean it. Everything's all right. I'm keeping my head up. No, actually, Paul doesn't do that. Their joy and their trust is in God, but that doesn't mean that he just accepts that which is wrong. In fact, the end of the story in Philippi shows that Paul's going to do anything other than go quietly. Verse 35, we read that when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can go, leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. And they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city." You see, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of Paul and Silas' praising and praying to God in the midst of persecution, there's no no sense that, oh, well, it was all right then, wasn't it? It was a good thing they threw us in prison because that's how we ended up here. No, it was wrong. It was unjust. Paul does call it out. And yet, in the midst of that, they pray and they sing. And they trust god and they recognize even in the midst of massive injustice even in the midst of utter persecution that was totally unjustified i am going to trust god so we look at this whole story god is about a massive mighty work we look at it in total he has led them to macedonia to philippi through their planning and their, their, their normal thought processes to the place of prayer. To Lydia and her household who have been saved gloriously. Then through the unexpected to a saved girl who's been delivered and set free. Through backlash, persecution and pain to a powerful witness in front of a group of prisoners. And through a miraculous intervention of God to a jailer whose utterly, his life is utterly turned around in that moment. Ultimately, to the establishment of the church in Philippi. Here are the small beginnings. A wealthy businesswoman in her household. Perhaps a slave girl who's been set free. Maybe a few prisoners and a jailer in his family. A church that Paul will later refer to the Corinthians. That them and the others in Macedonia, what a glorious example of generosity they are. Here's where it begins, and God's taking them on a journey. So we look at it all, will we trust him to go where he leads, in his timing, to see him set people free, to see him bring salvation to many, and to trust him in all the ups and downs, the painful times when it really just does not make sense, when injustice and persecution hits, trusting that he's still in control and still leading us on. Will we follow where he leads? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the utterly glorious story of Paul and Silas and the others in Philippi. Lord, of all that you do. Lord, of what you are about in that place. Lord, it's so (laughs) huge. There's so much going on. There's so much that you are doing. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of puzzling things, in the midst of glorious moments, Lord, you are at work. You are the king who is always in control. Lord, I thank you for the example of Paul and Silas sat in that prison cell. Well, I thank you for the way that they look to you in the midst of utter trial and despair, perhaps. We're going to praise God. We know that he's in control. We know that He is with us, even in this really dark place. Lord, I pray, would you strengthen us by your Spirit? Lord, help us. Lord, I don't know the circumstances that people find themselves in, but Lord, where there are, where people are in really hard places right now, Lord, would you come and strengthen? Lord, where we, Lord, where maybe actually. We just feel like, actually, yes, God, you are leading us on. Lord, would you strengthen us for what is to come? Lord, would you be at work amongst us? Lord, thank you that you have put us in a body together. Lord, let us be encouraged and strengthened by one another and by the work of your spirit amongst us. Lord, let us see salvation come. Let us see people set free from things that bind them. And Lord, let us keep trusting you in every up and down that we face. In Jesus' name. Amen.